Hey, everybody, welcome back to Off the Couch on the Blister Podcast Network. I'm Jonathan Ellsworth, and you can check out everything we're up to, including all of our other podcasts, over at blisterreview.com. Once again, we are broadcasting this episode from our home here in the Gunnison Valley of Colorado, and now would be a good time to start planning a trip here to experience our wide open spaces and do some running or hiking or biking on our vast network of trails here in Gunnison and Crested Butte. Okay, our guest this week is Ed Robertson, who is the host of the excellent Mountain and Prairie podcast. He is also the author of a fantastic bi-monthly books recommendation list. And last but not least, Ed is, I guess what we could call the inventor of the Procrastinator's Punishment 50K. So Brendan Leonard and I talked to Ed about all of the above, including Ed's scariest DNF and his grossest DNF. And we think that you are really going to enjoy this conversation. Now, we've also included links to Ed's website, which is mountainandprairie.com, where you can find Ed's podcast and you can sign up to receive his book recommendations in your inbox every month. And you should do that. I've been doing that for a couple years now, and it's a fantastic resource. And so let's go ahead and get to our conversation with Ed, and we'll let Brendan kick things off. Here we go. Ed Robertson, thanks for coming on Off the Couch, our little running podcast. I believe you also have a podcast. Can you tell me a little bit about that? I do have a podcast, and you know all about it, and I'm, I'm glad we're still talking after your experience on the podcast. Uh, <laughs> I, ne- <laughs> I never, never know how it goes, but uh, yeah, I've got a podcast called the Mountain and Prairie Podcast, and uh, the, kind of the tagline is interviews with innovators of the American West, and it's, it's really just, uh, I'm, I'm looking to talk with interesting people who are doing important work in the American West, and the, it runs the full spectrum from people who you know work in my line of work which is land conservation to professional athletes, to um, artists, to writers, really just anybody that I have an interest in and I want to talk to and getting them, you know, having a podcast is a way to convince them to come and talk with me. But uh, it's been, it's been the coolest project. I started it kind of on a whim about coming up on five years ago now and just committed to do one every other week. And now um, here we are and it's, you know, it's kind of caught on in, in a certain little circle, a uh, little tiny corner of the internet. And I love it, man. I mean, I wouldn't be talking to y'all right now if it weren't for that podcast. So it's, uh, it's, that was really my goal all along is start a podcast so that I could eventually get on this podcast. So <laughs> here we go. I can quit my podcast now. Things are, <laughs> things are really working out for you, Ed. Really working talk out. About, Mission accomplished. Talk about blowing smoke up people's ass. <laughs> Holy shit. Um, so you're on is it, are you in like episode 127? Is that, am I, I'm trying to, man, you might, you probably, if you looked, you know, better than I do. I, you, I know okay. you and I both love Seth Godin and he constantly talks about, don't look at numbers. Don't look at rankings. Don't look at any of that. And so I try my best not to look at that stuff, but I, I, I think I am in the one twenties, um, which is, I mean, that's crazy. It's really crazy. And, uh, but it's super fun, man. I mean, I've, I've loved every single conversation I've had and they're, 
it's made me a better person. You know, all these interviews with these people that are doing really purpose-driven work and there is work that they're passionate about. And it's just, it's awesome, man. I've, 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 it's been the best, the best, uh, kind of professional project I've ever done. I imagine at this point you're getting lots of uh, people suggesting guests to you, like such as myself, when I text you and say, hey, you know who might be cool if you're interested would be this person. Is there a certain, I don't know, like characteristic that you think you're, that you notice that you look for? Yeah. Yeah. There are, it's kind of two, two characteristics internally in my brain. And these are not like on the website, but I mean, basically they need to be doing important work and they need to be interesting themselves. And so like, if you had somebody that was doing really cool, innovative conservation work, but they were, (laughs) they were extremely boring to talk to, I I wouldn't be interested in that. But I'm, you know, I want to talk to people who are very, very passionate about what they're doing. And then, um, you know, that they've got an interesting personal story to tell. And it, it, you know, when you look at the podcast or when you listen to it, it's generally each episode is probably half about the work that they do and then half about how they got to the point where they are doing this work. And, you know, a lot of them are not from the American West. They're like me, you know, you can tell from this accent, I'm not from out here, but something about the West drew them out this way. And, uh, you know, it's, it's inspiring, I think, and it's inspiring for people who may have dreams of moving out here, but just can't quite push themselves over the edge to do it. And so, you know, I think, I think about it almost nowadays, I think about it as it's like an instruction manual to my 23 year old self <laughs> of <laughs> how, you know, how to move out West. Cause I, when I was 23, I was working at a, you know, at Merrill Lynch wearing a suit every day. And all I want to do is move out West. And I say it kind of half joking, but I was like, I took myself too seriously at age 23 just to come out and be a ski bum like I should have done. And so if I had had a resource like this to listen to, I think it would have sped up my process a little bit and given me the confidence to to make the move. And um, I don't know. That's, that's, what, that's how I've been thinking about it recently. I'm surprised to hear you say you're not from the West because I, I really pinpointed that accent as being a straight up Denver accent. <laughs> Just straight Denver suburbs, yeah. South South Denver suburbs. Huh. It's the it's what from the great the great uh, the great town of Tarboro, North Carolina. I'm sure y'all have been there before. Spent a lot of time there. N- no, but I say the same thing about my hometown. Yeah, which is, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I wonder now. I'm thinking like, what does a Denver accent sound like? It probably sounds like people from the Midwest. Uh, yeah, such as myself. Uh, pretty standard. I think. Pretty standard. Yeah. It's pretty vanilla. Do you? F- do you enjoy being on other people's podcasts, Ed? Or are you like, because I feel like yours, you sort of have to, you're a conversationalist, so you're sort of leaving little, or bringing out little pieces of yourself in conversation with other people in order to build rapport and ask them questions. So if we listen to all, all of the episodes of Mountain and Prairie, eventually we have a picture of you, you know? Yeah. Um, but do you like this, like, sort of concentrated, like, hey, Ed, talk about yourself for a few minutes? I don't know. It makes me a little bit uncomfortable just because, I mean, I I don't, you know, I don't mind talking to y'all about it, but the fact that it's being recorded and people I don't know will be listening, but I've been on a bunch of podcasts and mostly it's related to some of my conservation work. And so I can kind of go into the spiels about water rights and land conservation and all that kind of stuff. And so it's not so much about me, um, but, you know, I, it's funny because I get a lot of emails from people who've listened to, uh, you know, a lot of the episodes and they 
over time they get this a little bits and pieces of information about me. And I think it when you start putting it together, it's kind of like a, a weird a weird story and a funny story. And they're they're kind of interested, like, well, what's what is that, that he was talking about the other day? So, I mean, I, I I appreciate the opportunity to talk about this. And surprisingly, I think there are at least one or two people that are interested in it. So <laughs> I think it's good. <laughs> Yeah, it's like the. I feel like the one end of the spectrum is like Terry Gross, where no one knows anything about her. She's yeah, been mysterious. interviewed like twice, and like she's literally just a really awesome interviewer. But there's like two photos of her ever taken or something like that. And, uh, I heard interview yeah. though with her and Mark Marin. That was and, that was uh, awesome, dude. Yeah, that was he a, made her like start amazing. crying. I think. I mean, she she like really really opened up, and I've I've never forgotten that because she's always been just this mysterious voice, and she's got this really cool backstory. Um, but I you know I feel like in the interviews it's important to try to establish rapport and try to find commonalities so that people will open up. And I think just rapid fire questions. First of all, that makes people uncomfortable or it makes me uncomfortable. And then second of all, it's boring to listen to. Like, I'm not a journalist. I don't know how to ask rapid fire questions. Like, I, I know how to have a conversation. <laughs> and and so that's that's all I can do. And I, I don't want to act like I'm a journalist or act like I've, you know, just going to be firing one question off after another because I, I have no interest in that. For the people who've been listening to this for like the last eight minutes, we maybe should give people a sense of why we are talking with you, Ed, on a podcast that's presumably about running. I was wondering why. <laughs> See, I'm more of a rapid fire journalist than Brendan. So I, that's why I beat him to it. All business. All right. Yeah. Ed, okay, Ed. So we, the, the reason we wanted to have you on this podcast is that you did what you call productivity ultramarathon. I changed um, the name. I gave you a disclaimer when I told you that. And I said, it's a lame name and I need to change it. Uh, I mean, whatever <laughs> the, the, the thing itself, you don't, we're just, this is not about branding. The thing itself is what's interesting. Okay. So this was your 43rd birthday, but what was the inspiration? And then what did you actually do? The only information that's out there about it is about two, like six sentences on your Instagram, I think. Yes, that's correct. And I was even kind of concerned about putting it on Instagram because I've got this, I'll give a disclaimer now that I don't want anybody to think that I think that I'm some kind of badass runner. Cause I don't think that. <laughs> And so I'll just give that disclaimer and I won't continue to say it. But yeah, so I, a few days before I turned 43, my birthday is December 8th. One of my vices is I, I really, I, I'll go down YouTube rabbit holes and I'm all about the little suggestions on the side. And I just, if I have downtime, that's, that's like my only vice is YouTube. And this video popped up and it was called a mile an hour, a different kind of marathon. And I clicked on it and it was like 17 minutes and I started watching it. It's this guy named Bo Miles out of Australia who did this thing. And he's just a super likable, funny, optimistic, just a really enthusiastic guy, very likable from the outset. And I watched this video and he did this deal where he ran around his block. His block was exactly one mile. And every hour on the hour, he would run around the block. And then in between his runs, he would do tasks around the house. And he did all this cool stuff. Like he built a table out of lumber and he was like cutting down trees and chopping wood and all this kind of stuff. And uh, the kind of stuff you would expect like a, a hardy Australian guy to be doing. And so I saw that and really it was like two or three days for my birthday. And instantly I was like, I'm going to do that. That, that. that is something that seems really cool. And so during this damn pandemic, I've just had this long list of junk that has continued to pile up and it's boring. It's not like Bo Miles 
fun stuff like building tables is really boring stuff that I've just been procrastinating on. And so I just, I'm kind of an all or nothing personality in a lot of ways. And it, it, I can, there's good parts and bad parts to that, but <laughs> I, I just needed, I needed to just get it all knocked out. And so wh- I, I got on Google earth and I found a 1.3 mile loop around my neighborhood. And so 1.3 times 24 is 31 point something. So I was like, there we go. 50 K ultra. So I changed the name though. Now it's called the procrastinators punishment 50 K. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so, so I had a meeting, uh, on, uh, a work meeting, at like 10 a.m. to 11, at 11 a.m., got off, cranked out 1.3 miles, and then just started doing all these tasks. And they weren't super cool. I mean, like I did stack some firewood and chop some wood and had a big truckload to unload. But I mean, a lot of it, like I, I have all these backed up emails from my podcast that I just can't keep up with or I don't make the time to keep up with. And I cranked through like well over a hundred emails, which was awesome because emails are, they drive me crazy. Um, and, and I procrastinate on them. I got them done. I, uh, I did a bunch of organizing, like I ripped everything out of my basement, completely organized that. And just really like I did it for 24 hours straight. And so I would, I basically run for, you know, 10 to 13 minutes and then crank out these tasks in between. And I still was able to do my girl's bedtime and and do some regular work. And it was, it was really fun. Like it was surprisingly fun. And I got a lot done. I don't, I think you could do a 16 hour version and it would be just as effective and not have to stay up all night. But, um, (laughs) but, but it was, it was really cool and I'm never going to forget it. I don't think. You don't, you don't have that master list of tasks in front of you, do you? No, not in front of me. And, and the one thing that I really wanted to do was my garage was a mess and I was going to build these shelves and I started doing that, but it was pretty damn cold. It was like below freezing and my garage didn't insulate it. And so I had to bail on that and go back to the emails because my hands were getting off. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Bo did it in the summer, which I would probably recommend because you got a lot more daylight. Mine was like pretty close to the solstice and it was like well below freezing at night, but, um, you know, just got to crank it out, man. It was good. It's just getting colder and colder until like 7 a.m., right? Like, Oh, yeah. Right it got pretty cold. Pops. You didn't just like pop off the couch after sitting down and eating nachos for like six months. You'd, you'd been doing some running. Well, you know what? And I was thinking about this. The reason I'd been doing running is because of you guys and your podcast. And I heard that interview you did with that guy who ran um, 3.1 miles yeah. every day. Yeah. Eric. So, yeah, he that was that was great. And I, I listened to that and it had been rattling around in my head. And um, this summer, I just felt like I wasn't running enough and I was just kind of messing around. I felt kind of sloppy. So I just decided one day, I was like, I'm going to run. I'm going to run three miles every day. And so I've, I'd been doing that since the summer. And, um, so I think I'm on right now I'm on day like 150 something. So I hadn't been running, I hadn't been running a lot. Like I hadn't been running, you know, like a training hard or running long days, but I'd been running for the first time in my life, literally ever. I don't think I'd ever run more than four days in a row before. And now I'm on day 150 something. And so that just kind of got my legs used to it. I had switched over to running in ultras though. I'm doing that now. And I was kind of concerned that might be, I was only a few weeks into the ultras. I was worried that might cause some problems, but I'm kind of sold on the ultras these days. Okay. Yeah. So had you done anything longer than three miles in the last hundred and well, previous to the. Yeah, I'd done. Yeah. I, I go up, I try to go up in the mountains at least once a week and I'd probably, I bet the longest I'd done was maybe. Not more than 10 miles. 
I mean, this summer before I started running consecutively, I'd done some longer days, but I'd never, I had not, I've not done more than 10 miles. And I'll tell you on that, the overnight thing, the, what I call it, procrastinators punishment, 50 K the, <laughs> the running, the running really was not an issue. Like I, I was barely sore the next day. I never really got tired. The, the pace was very, very slow, but consistent. Like the running was actually kind of the, the easiest part. I did get a little scared, like in the middle of the night at three in the morning, running around a urban area i got a little nervous and so i wore my my fancy solomon uh running pack but instead of water bottles i had my bear spray in it (laughs) (laughs) but unfortunately i didn't get to use it i kind of like halfway wanted to have to use it boy i don't know about using that on a person that might not might not be the well i mean that's yeah i've thought i've thought of doing that before too but um well i'd be i'd be too scared with anything else you don't really have to aim with bear spray you just just let it let it rip yeah, it, it, make sure it's aimed away from your face. Yeah. I guess is the number one, <laughs> right? And and you're and you're not shooting it into the wind. I guess. Yes. Did you think about doing forty three miles uh, for forty three years at some point? I thought about all versions of it. I thought, well, why not just do three miles every hour? But then that just turns into straight up running. And it's kind of, and then you're just sitting around and I'm like, well, if I'm going to be running that much, I'll just, I'd rather just run for 24 hours straight with no breaks because the breaks for this thing I did, the breaks were not an issue. But when I have done longer, longer stuff, I don't like the breaks because you sit down and for me, my legs get, start getting tight and I don't want to move. And so I started, I, I felt like anything over running for 15 minutes out of an hour, it would turn into more of a running event than, than getting the other stuff done. And I would have been tempted just to, just to run all night, which, I mean, that'd be kind of cool. I don't know how, but, but running on the street for 24 hours doesn't seem very cool to me, actually. How did your uh, wife and and kids react when you were like, well, here's what dad's going to do for his birthday. And you told them about the plan. The funniest part is my, we're having to do these little childcare shares because of the pandemic. And my, my kindergartner was over at the other house and just said, my daddy's not going to sleep tonight. And all he's going to do, <laughs> do is run. <laughs> and my, my wife went to get pick her up and they said, uh, Janie says that Ed's not going to be sleeping tonight. <laughs> so, uh, it was, it, it caused a bit of confusion, but my, my wife is 100%. She's so supportive of all this stuff I do. Cause I'm always coming up with these weird little challenges for myself and she is completely supportive and she's not at all interested in doing any of this kind kind of stuff herself but I'm always I've always got some weird little thing I want to do or try out or see if I you know see what's going to happen if I do x and she is unbelievably supportive and calming the, the deal is though I finished it you know around 11 a.m on the next day took a nap and then I was on like I, I mean I had to do bad times and all that stuff there's no she doesn't give me much of a break for, for, for just kind of lounging around like I used to be, do before kids. Um, and I don't really want to do that anymore in any way, but no, she, she's, she's used to it for better or worse. Do you, do you recall, um, like a certain instance in the, the early in your relationship where it was like the one weird thing that, that was like, Oh, okay, sure. That sort of like set the precedent where, right. you know, she was, she was sort of like, oh, this guy's going to be doing this weird, right. crazy shit his whole life. So I'll just, you know, like, was it like, was there one thing that kind of got yeah. her? I never thought about that. Ideas? I never thought about that. But when I, so we met, we met randomly, we sat down next to each other in an airport in Dallas, just 
didn't know each other. We were on an airplane. The plane, the pilot came on. It's like, plane's broken. You got to get off. So I went and sat in the waiting area, and then she sat down next to me. We started talking, and now we're married. It's the craziest thing, and there are humans on this earth because of that meeting. But anyway, so that that summer, so that was like at Christmas, and that the following summer, I was getting ready to go to grad school, and I took, I stopped working that spring, and I spent that summer, and I had I had no experience with like long, like ultra type endurance type, you know, events or, or even the mindset of ultra endurance. And I'd only climbed one fourteener ever in high school. I got sent out here on a school trip and we climbed a 14 but I just decided just before we were both, both my wife and I, our girlfriend at the time, we're going to grad school. I said, I'm going to, I'm going to try to climb. Um, I'm going to try to climb 30 14ers in 50 days, um, during the summer before I start business school and just, she was living in Boulder at the time. And so I just basically drove around and did 14ers and I raised a bunch of money for, and now I'm mad about it because I raised a bunch of money for the Lance Armstrong foundation, that bastard. And, uh, and, but, but, uh, so that was kind of the first taste of it. And I've always just kind of had different events. And that was really my first taste of spending long days in the mountains. You know, now I've, I go out, I've gone out before and done, five 14ers in a, in a day. It's not that, not that big of a deal, but, um, but at the time it was very, it really opened my eyes to, you know, spending time in the mountains, the Colorado mountains. And I really think that planted the seed for a lot of the the work I do today. And for us moving back to Colorado after grad school. And she was, she reacted to that by being like, Oh yeah, sure. That seems. Yeah. That seems, that seems normal. And that, that was somewhat normal, but I mean, I do, I'll do really weird stuff and she just kind of as long as it doesn't interfere with the family stuff or at least not for a long period of time she's she's all about it. So were you like uh during the running of the procrastinator's punishment were you like hey we got to wrap up story time pretty quick here cuz uh dad's got to go run another 1.3 miles were you like getting to the end of like goodnight moon or something like hey I got to go. Sorry. Well, I, I'd made up my mind before that I didn't want it to be one of these things, at least during certain hours that was disturbing the family. <laughs> Cause, oh, okay. and so I, you know, I had it planned and every, at the top of the hour I was going running, but I was able to kind of work things in before and after. And really, you know, we're running 1.3 miles. That, that doesn't take that long. And so I was able to go out, do it. And there was, I would barely even be sweaty when I get back. So I would like, I ducked out during dinner when did it. And then came back and finished and helped him do read some books and stuff, then ducked back out. And uh, yeah, surprisingly, not a big deal. Um, but it just provided some structure to the day. You know, it provided these windows where you could just go, 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 go as hard as you could and then go out for a run. Or And, and, and it really, you know, the emails were not... They, they, it, the idea of it wasn't so consuming um, or I, I wasn't tempted to procrastinate because it's like, look, it's only like 40 minutes of doing this. Just crank them out. And uh, just the weird way my brain works, that that was a good formula. You just answered all the emails with like a thumbs up emoji. That was That's it. what I need, man. Boom, I need boom, to boom. do that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. God, I'm so productive. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, what was the, what was the worst? Like, was there a pretty bad moment? Like 3am you're just like, I think I'm done. I think I'm going to quit. This sucks. Or we're like super lonely. Like, was there anything like that? Yeah. Like at 1am I was out doing my lap and I saw this, uh, I was running past this alleyway. There was an alley, you know, in the neighborhood and this kind of souped up 
kind of it looked like a car that would be in that movie Fast and the Furious, even though I've never seen Fast and the Furious, was kind of like cruising out of the alley real slow. And then it it I ran in front of the headlights of it. And then I I was noticing it as I was running, kind of like going in the alleys parallel to me. And I don't think they were scoping me out or anything, but I think they were I don't know what they were doing in the alley, but it nothing, nothing good. And that just made me nervous. I was like, man, you always hear about, you know, nothing good happens after midnight outside and here I am. But it was pandemic, a Tuesday night, the bars were closed because of COVID. And I was thinking, all right, if there is a time in the last few years to do this, it's now. There aren't going to be any drunk people who want to throw a bottle at a at a guy running down the street. And uh, But it was really just, I was scared about being out there, like if, if somebody was going to try to hassle me, hence the bear spray in the uh, running pack. But overall, man, overall, I just kept a positive attitude. I, that's what I found in all this stuff. I'm not, I don't think I'm default. Um, I would say default, my default mode is pessimistic, but I've, I've learned to force myself to be optimistic. And I, in any event I've done in that thing, I just make up my mind beforehand, like do not allow your brain to get in a bad mood here. It's not allowed. You can, you can, you can control that for 24 hours and it works. I mean, it works in, in things like that silly procrastinators punishment and it works in big races and it, it works in life. At least for me, it has after 43 years of trying to do it. Yeah. The thing I've noticed in like races is you can't control a guy who comes up to you and it starts running with you and starts talking a bunch of like, it's basically Eeyore. Yes. Like, man, my feet hurt. I don't know. You're like, shut the fuck up. No, I know, man. No, that's one of my pet peeves is, is in these races. And and it's like a bonding thing. I mean, they, they want to, I think a lot of people do those races and they want to, that's part of the appeal to go tell their friends how much it sucked and how hard it was. And they'll come up in the race and like, oh, this is brutal. (laughs) And I don't want to hear that. Like, I I mean, I I get it and I don't think they mean anything bad by it. And yeah, it is, it is brutal, but it's taken everything I have to just say, no, this is great. I mean, this is, this is a privilege to be out here getting to do this. And I'm gonna remember this for the, for the rest of my life. I, that guy, Jason Schlarb, who, who, um, is a, you know, ran, he won the hard rock. I saw an interview with him on I run four one time and he was talking about how he forces himself to smile. Like when he's out there completely alone, you know, in the front by himself in the middle of the night, he forces himself to smile. And I saw that it was after he had won the run rabbit run. And I, then I went to do that one and I was, and I kept that in mind and I did it. And it's amazing how well it works, but I just can't let that negative stuff get in my brain because it'll take over. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. If it comes up in conversation, somebody says, I should do something like that for my birthday or, or on Tuesday, just for, because I have a hundred emails backed up. Do you have advice for people on what, what you learned and what not to do and what to do? Yeah. I mean, I would say, first of all, I'd say just do it. I mean, that's, that's my, that's my advice on any of this stuff, whether it's, I get that question about podcast stuff, I get it. And there's no way to learn how to do any of this stuff other than just doing it. Just, just 100% commit that you're going to do it, commit that you're not going to stop and, and, and do it. And, um, you know, for, for something like this, whether you're running one mile or, or even two miles an hour, I mean, it, it, it's really not that hard. I mean, it's a mental thing. And, um, I would just, I would just say that you got to keep a good attitude and you got to be commit to not quitting. I mean, I think that is the, that is the key and commit to doing some fun stuff in in the middle and stuff that needs to get done. You know, it was, it was a completely pleasant experience. 
now that, you know, as soon as I knew I wasn't going to get mugged in the middle of the night, otherwise completely pleasant. I actually like that as a title for the thing, as opposed to the procrastinator's punishment. A completely don't get mugged, experience. 50K? No, no, no. Uh, a completely pleasant experience. <laughs> <laughs> See, that's why you're the writer. See? Yeah. <laughs> it's beautiful. Maybe let's talk a little bit about um, your sort of history a little bit as a, I, I know you, like you would not be really keen on using the word athlete, but when did you start running? I, you know, in high school, I played team sports, mediocre, as mediocre team sport guy, and running was always punishment. And uh, I mean, that was what you did not want to be doing. And if I did run, it was to run fast. Like I did, one time I did track and I, I did some of the like 200 meter stuff or whatever. And, and, uh, but when I got out, when I graduated from college, I, I decided I wanted to go and climb Aconcagua in South America before I started, um, before I started uh, my job. And I'd never been above 14,000 feet. And I just got it in my head that I wanted to climb that mountain, which is almost 23,000 feet. And so I just started running to get in shape for that. And, you know, at, what I did then, and I thought was a big deal is like, you know, nothing compared to what I think is normal now, but that's what, that's what planted the seed was, was training for Aconcagua. And then when I got, and, and having that goal and that purpose, it really, it kind of changed my perspective on things. Like, all right, I got to train for this because it's dangerous if I don't, and I have to run and I have to run. And I, I think there were so many mental benefits to hard exercise. And I, that was really my first taste of training hard for a, an event. And then when I got home, the event was over and I was kind of like, oh man, what am I going to do now? I don't have a reason to go running. And then I started doing triathlons after that and riding bikes and running. And it's always been kind of a part of my, part of my life. And it's just kind of gotten bigger more and more and more over the years, but it's always kind of goal oriented and, um, I'll, I'll do nothing for months and then kind of feel bad that I'm not doing anything and I'll sign up for something. And that's why this thing that you guys inspired me with the every day is, I mean, I think that's kind of a, a cool goal because it's the first time ever the goal is consistency, which is something I, I needed to do. But, um, yeah, it's, it's always been a part of my life and it's just kind of gotten more and more ramped up over the last 10 years. If we don't end up titling this episode, a completely pleasant experience, I now kind of want to title it mediocre team sport guy. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I've been dying to say that for like four minutes now. So mediocre might be a, uh, a overstatement, actually. I feel like that that could be the title of a lot of people's memoirs, actually, yeah. including myself. Yeah. You know? yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, how did you get into this? Well, I sucked at team sports. <laughs> yeah. So. I'm not coordinated, but I cannot quit. <laughs> God, yeah, I know. That's a, that's a, what I'm good at, is not quitting. Um, yeah, so you... Let's see. So you eventually, I'm looking, I'm actually looking at your ultra sign up page here. And according to ultra sign up, your first ultra marathon was the silver rush 50 in Leadville. Is that right? Yeah. I, I moved to Colorado. My wife and I had lived in Costa Rica for a year. We moved back to Colorado. I think I read born to run, um, uh, okay, like yep. right when I showed up in Colorado and I went to some event where it was like Scott Jarek and uh, the guy who wrote Born to Run, McDougal, and Anton Kropitschka, and they were speaking. And, it, and I was like, that is so cool. I want to do that. And I'd never run more than – I'd rather never run more than 18 miles before, and I signed up for Leadville. And um, I lived pretty close to the Flatirons, and so I just started running. I mean, I think I signed up for it in the winter, 
and uh, just slowly started running. I mean, when I started, I could literally could not get from my house up to the trailhead without, you know, walking. And I just kept doing it over and over and over and over. And again, wouldn't quit. And um, yeah, went to Leadville and had fun. I mean, I, it's not like I'm setting any records or anything, but uh, it was great. And so I did that one. And then the next year I did the San Juan Solstice, which is one of the coolest events of any kind I've ever done anywhere. Um, just a, a really awesome course, great community event, really hard. I mean, I think it's, it's got like 13,000 feet of vertical, um, and it's up really high, but it, it, it's an awesome event. And, um, and then I think I did like a 50 K I can't ever really keep it all straight. And then I, it kind of culminated with the run rabbit run 100, um, just before my, in 2015, I think, or 14, maybe. And then I've had some DNFs, which are kind of crazy stories in themselves, but. Well, share one. Oh, here's one. So there's one that's really gross. And then there's one that's, that's kind of like kind of scary. I'll tell the scary one. I, I trained hard <laughs> for the, for the Bighorn 100, like hard. I was in the best shape I've ever been in. I was running, running more than I've ever run there in Boulder a lot. I mean, very consistent, very focused. I was tracking my, my training, which I'd never really done. And I was working out, I was training at the Alpine training center in Boulder, which is just this really great gym with a bunch of badasses. That's actually how I met Tori, Brendan, our mutual friend, Tori, who introduced Ah, me to you and, um, in great shape. I felt, I felt better than I've ever felt about doing one of these races and went, got, went up there to Wyoming, started, and it was a cool day, kind of overcast, no big deal. And I was going up the first climb at mile five, and it felt like somebody had punched me in the chest just out of nowhere, like from zero to 100. And my heart rate went up to like over 200 beats a minute and it wouldn't stop. And I couldn't, I literally couldn't walk. I, I, I fell down. And uh, I was like incapacitated. And then it would kind of slow down a little bit, and I try to walk, and I couldn't. And of course I was sitting there like people were like, are you okay? I was like, yeah, yeah, I'm fine. I'm fine. And I was drinking, you know, doing all the electrolytes, just convinced that I could fix whatever was happening. And it just, my heart rate would not go down. And, um, eventually after like an hour, I was sitting there, everybody left, everybody passed me and I was just sitting there and eventually it, it slowed down and I kept going up like three more miles. And I think it was like 1500 feet of vertical to the next aid station. And I'd had some sort of, um, they, they never fully figured it out even after like five trips to the, to the cardiologist, but it was some, something with the electrical system of my heart. And there were two different options of what it could be. And those doctors were just foaming at the mouth to try to start jamming electrodes in my heart and do surgery. And, and luckily I didn't do it cause I haven't had an issue since, but that was a real wake up call. Cause it, I've always thought when I'm out in the woods, you know, no matter no matter how bad it is, you know, uh, other than some kind of, kind of catastrophic in, um, injury, I've always thought I could get out. You know, I, I could crawl my way out if needed. But I was truly like incapacitated there for about an hour, and it was it was pretty pretty scary and a humbling experience. And luckily, there are no. I, I've done. I did the Moab fifty five k a few years ago. After that, and no problems. I hadn't had any any problem with my heart since then, and I, I monitor it all day, every day, and nothing. So. But it was a uh, it was a real wake up call because nobody in my family has a heart issues. There was no nothing to think that would happen, and it did. So it was um, it was a wake up call in a lot in a lot of different reasons. But I'm going to keep doing those things. 
God, that's super weird. Was it, do you think, have you ever, I'm like guessing here, was it maybe like an anxiety type of thing? I don't know. You know, at the time I, I just had no idea what it was, but looking back, I was in this, I w- there was a lot of stuff going on and, um, I was, that I was still in the real estate business then. And I was in the midst of a really bad, um, you know, kind of a, a conflict with somebody with lawyers and all that kind of stuff. And that was really bothering me. And we were in the process of buying a new house, which was bothering, you know, that was on my mind. And, you know, I'd been training hard, for this thing. And, um, actually, you know, probably 30 seconds before it happened, I, I was, you know, hiking up this hill, talking to some guys and my sock kind of went down around my, my ankle is kind of going down in my shoe. And I reached down in there and I grabbed it and pulled it real hard and it ripped. And I remember thinking, man, you got to get your shit together here, man. This is, uh, you can't be doing stuff like that at mile five. And then like 30 seconds later, it happened. And so I wonder if it was almost like if it was an anxiety thing. And I've never had issues with, you know, bad issues with anxiety or any sort of panic attacks or anything. But it, I mean, it was a legit cardiac event. And yeah. looking back, it very well could have been stress. Huh. God, that's wild. What's the what's the gross DNF, if you want to tell it? Oh, this. so I'd signed up for the... Um, for the, uh, for the San Juan solstice. And I was so excited. I trained hard. It was going to be awesome. My fam, my parents were going to be there. We we're going to take my little one-year-old daughter down there to go. It was just going to be awesome. And, and I was at home the night before we left and I was packing up my little vest and getting my gels ready and everything. And I won't give you too much detail, but let's just say it out of nowhere from, from instantly it turned into like the scene on Dumb and Dumber when he goes to pick up the girl on the date and it goes in the bathroom and then the toilet's not working <laughs> like that. And I, I mean, just wow, unbelievable. Like the sickest I've ever been. I lived in Central America for a year and never got that sick. But I was like, I'm doing it. I don't care. I'm doing it. I, I'm not gonna, I've trained too hard. And so that night, <laughs> or I, I, I drove to Lake City with my family. And then the night before I went to bed, I took four emodiums. I was like, we're stopping it up and I'm gonna go. And um, I made it to mile 17, like the 17 mile aid station at Williams Creek. And uh, I just, I was, I was doing fine with cutoffs and everything, but I couldn't eat. And I was like kind of in a cold sweat and the, the climb out of there is like hot and it goes up and you're above 12,000 feet for like 18 miles or something or 13 miles maybe. And I was just like, this is dangerous. I mean, somebody's going to have to help me and I'm going to be taking, you know, this is not good and and it'd be selfish and stupid to keep going. So I, I bailed on that. But so the last, the last two, well, no, not the last two, two of the last three, I've had DNFs, which kind of drive me crazy. But at the same time, it was, it was not, it, it was very intensive events that made me quit. It wasn't just like, oh, I'm tired. I can't go anymore. If I, that maybe that's me telling myself a story to make myself feel better. Oh, no, it sounds, sounds legit. Sounds fairly I mean, legit, Ed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I feel like, I feel like I read the statistics of like, it was like basically a survey of why people don't finish ultra marathons. And I, I hope I'm not misremembering this, but I feel like gastrointestinal issues was number one. Um, yeah. It, right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it really can get you. I was just so mad though, because it was, it was the kind of thing that yeah. I'd never really get sick and all, and it just hit me the day before. And, but you know, that I, I do think if you, the DNF is kind of a rite of passage with those things and it, it makes you have some respect for them. And, and, um, I mean, it's part of the, 
part of the journey of running those things. It wouldn't be that fun if you knew that you could finish every single one of them. Or it wouldn't be, it might be fun, but it wouldn't be, uh, I don't know, it wouldn't be as much of something to be proud of, I guess. Do you remember what actually just, what drew you to those long distances? Because there's plenty of stuff to do in Colorado besides flog yourself um, for (laughs) 12 to 35 hours in the mountains by moving. And like, why, what do you think spoke to you about, about that sort of thing? I think, I think a lot of it, I think I'm very curious in general. I mean, I think it's almost, it could almost be to a fault. I mean, I'm always just kind of wondering, trying to understand things and wondering, I wonder what that would be like. And so I think I'm curious. And then I think I'm also very curious goal driven. Um, I like to have a goal and to be able to something that, you know, when it comes to this physical stuff, it, I like it to be something that um, kind of makes me nervous um, and, and forces me to train hard. And, um, you know, I, I never did any, like I said earlier, I never did any endurance sports in, in high school. And, and, but I, I've really gotten a lot of kind of self-satisfaction in a good, you know, in a very good way for just this understanding how far I can push myself and I feel like there's a lot of lessons that go beyond the running into real life. Like, I mean, if you can push through some of that stuff in in the mountains where you're, where it's really, really, really physically hard, I feel like it translates well into other challenges in life. And I've just found it to be extremely fulfilling. Um, it it's the 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 training, you know, f- ha- kind of tricking myself into doing consistent training by signing up for a race is good for me in every other aspect of my life, you know, from my work to family, to relationships, just consistent exercise is the key for, for everything I do. And that those long races are kind of a vehicle to make that happen. And I don't know, it's just that I, I, you know, one thing that I was not expecting is the community that's involved with these races. You know, I used to do triathlons and they're just, when I did that and I hadn't done triathlon in probably 10 years, but a lot of real uptight people. And, you know, I remember one time I did a half Ironman and there was some guy like, like kind of fussing at the aid, somebody working at the aid station, telling him to hurry up. And it's all this about, you know, ounces and get the road bike to weigh a few less ounces and just kind of uptight. And whereas in, in ultra running, everybody's just so cool, you know, from the, the, the person who wins to the people in the back like me. And you get to have these fun conversations with people over the course of a few, you know, a few hours as you kind of go, go along together. And it's just a really neat community of interesting people. And, and the majority of the people that do them, at least that I've known are, are interesting people themselves. And I think you have to be somewhat introspective to want to spend that much time by yourself out in the woods. And, um, I've, I've thoroughly enjoyed the community that builds up around the, has built up around ultras. And that's something that I never, I didn't have any idea about. And a lot of the people I've had on the podcast who were pretty high level ultra marathon runners are some of the coolest people, you know, that I've ever met anywhere. Just really interesting, deep thinking people who like Joe Grant, for example, or Mike Foote or Kyle Richardson that, you know, the running is almost the least interesting thing they do. They, 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 as people, they've got all this other cool stuff that they do. Like Kyle Richardson is a really a high, high, high level musician on top of everything else. And, and I've just, I don't know. I've just, they're interesting people. I love that. I, I like the idea. It's a good goal for, I don't know, like all of us that these different activities that we do and are passionate about and that 
you know, can sometimes start to more or less define us if we always sort of strive for that to be sort of the least interesting thing about us. Yeah. That's probably a good, probably a good thing to try to aspire to. No, I agree. There's some quote that I always, I always mention. It always comes up on my podcast, but I heard Yvonne Chouinard was quoting somebody else. And he said that mountain climbers are the conquistadors of the useless. That is a, it's really a, a completely useless act in itself. But I think that it, it translates into a lot of really, really cool stuff in the parts of life that, that really matter. And for somebody like me, you know, I'm not, I'm never going to win any money or, or make a living doing endurance things, but my life has been really enriched. And I think any, any success I've had in other parts of my life, I, I really do think that pushing myself hard in the mountains, you know, what that means to, you know, my version of pushing myself hard has made me better in other parts of my life. Everything from being a dad to, to my job. That, uh, that saying is actually, is definitely a book title, Ed. Conquistadors yeah. of the Useless, Lionel Trey. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah. It's, I love that. Alpinist. So not to give you a book recommendation, but that would, um, no, I that need would, book recommendations that, that will, uh, that will segue nicely into my next quite few questions for you. So it's it, talking before, well, when I asked Jonathan, I was like, we should talk to Ed, you know, when we were talking last week or this week about potential guests and, and I was like, you know, I mentioned the, the procrastinators punishment ultra and, and I started saying a few things about you and, and I said something like, Ed is one of the most voracious readers I've ever met. And he has this newsletter and Jonathan was like, I get this guy's newsletter book <laughs> recommendations. And um, I think that's one, probably one of the things next to your podcast that people would probably know about you or um, yeah, if your running is the least interesting thing, I feel like maybe one of your, maybe your book recommendations are one of the most interesting things. I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about how that came to be and, and what it is now. Yeah, I'd, um, I've always enjoyed reading, um, but but really I, I've enjoyed reading what I want to read. It, like in college, I was not any sort of all-star student. And I feel like, you know, I don't really remember any books that I was assigned, but I used to, during college, I used to go to like Barnes and Noble and just kind of hang out in there and read books when I was supposed to be doing homework. Um, and so I've always been a big reader and, and reading is really I credit reading with really expanding my perspective on a lot of things and expanding, you know, my understanding of the world, understanding of different cultures, different political views. And, you know, if you looked at, if you had kind of a a thumbnail sketch of me 20 years ago, just my thoughts on things and my thoughts now is very, very different in a lot of ways. And I, I credit a lot of that to reading and reading a lot and reading as much as I can, a lot of biographies, a lot of nonfiction. Um, And so, yeah, I've, I've just always had that that interest and maybe five five or six years ago I just decided to I'd seen this guy named Ryan Holiday who you you definitely know his work and he had this email reading list that I'd stumbled across and I thought well, I, I could do that it's like everybody's realizing I don't have an original idea between the copying Bo Miles and copying Ryan Holiday <laughs> but, but what's I thought, next a and, podcast yeah <laughs> <laughs> and uh and so I just decided I was like I'll do that. And it might make me, I'll see if there's any interest. And I sent it out to like 30 of my friends, I think. And I said, Hey, I'm going to be sending this out every other month. If you're, if you want in, let me know. And, um, I, I sent it out and then people started signing up and then I moved it over to MailChimp. And it's, I mean, the thing has just continued to grow and grow. It's crazy. I mean, it's really crazy. And, um, 
but people really seem to be looking for book recommendations, which I think is is great. And it's kind of like the podcast in that when I write these recommendations, I think little bits of my personality or what I'm thinking about come out in the reviews or why I read this book or, or whatever. And the the open rate is I try again, I try not to look at this stuff, but the open rate is is amazing and not that many people unsubscribe and, and people always compliment me on it and I bump into people who are subscribed to it and and all these publishers are now sending me free books, which is which is pretty cool. So yeah, that was that was kind of how it got started and where it is now. So I'm looking at your um, your Instagram post of some of the books you read, loved, and recommended during 2020. There's like 26 books here, I think, or 25. Oh, yeah. And I don't even think that included the – I was getting ready to send out my last one of the year. <laughs> okay. Oh, yeah, yeah. It says that, yeah. So I have some questions based on the stack that I'm, gonna, I'm looking at from top to bottom. All right. One of them, one of them is Lee Iacocca's uh, autobiography. Mm-hmm. Um, I hear that's I'm, amazing. Oh, that's okay. like classically known by people who wish they read more books than they do, but like to know things about sort of books. Like that's a classic, incredible biography. No, it is. It's surprisingly good, and it's it's really straight out of the eighties. Like when you're reading it, you it you have the feeling like I'm back as a kid in the eighties. Because one of Iacocca's biggest accomplishments was he he kind of pulled Chrysler off the brink mm-hmm. by bringing in the minivan. <laughs> And it's that, you know, that wood paneled minivan that we all knew when oh, we yeah. were kids. The and caravan. it's just a, yeah, you know, my background before I started doing conservation or podcast or anything was business. And I've got an MBA. I mean, I went to grad school for finance and all this kind of stuff. And so I, I have a real, I do have an interest in business, but more importantly, I have an interest in business people. And that, and, you know, when I think about people I admire, it's generally kind of like entrepreneurial types, people that, that strike out on their own and do their own thing and, and, don't pay attention to the the norms, but this guy was a company man. You know, I mean, I think he worked at Ford. He had something to do with the development of the Mustang. He was a straight up company man, but still managed to bring some creativity and innovation and inspiration and and made his mark in a really interesting way in, in something that, I mean, I don't care one bit about a car company, anything about it. I don't care about cars. I don't care about car companies, but the guy's just an interesting dude. And I I'd bought that book years ago and started it and never finished it. So I, I just revisited it and it was surprisingly good. Huh. I used to have a party trick when I used to hang out in thrift stores a lot. And, uh, it was like, I would walk in and I'd be like, I bet you five bucks. I can find a copy of Lee Iacocca's biography here. And it would be like, <laughs> Goodwill, it, like any any brand of thrift store, you could walk around it was any any area of the country, and there would be a copy of it. And I was like, I don't know why this is everywhere, but I thought maybe they gave away free copies of it with the purchase <laughs> of like a Dodge Caravan or something like that. Cause, oh yeah, it was. The, it, my dad had a copy. I remember. I remember seeing it on the shelf when I was a kid huh, uh, at, that's at our crazy. house. Yeah. Huh. Well, okay. That's why then. Yeah. Perennial Seller by Ryan Holiday. Did I buy you that copy of that book? You told me to get it. You told me to get it. And it's, um, I love it. It, I thought it was so great. That encouraged me to start my weekly email. So I'd been doing the book email, but I started a weekly email called Good News from the American West. And it's only good news, no negativity. And, um, and that that book is what encouraged me to do that. And I, I underlined, I underlined page or passages on every, literally, every page. And so I need to revisit it because it's one of those things where there was so much actionable 
wisdom for trying if you know if you've got some sort of creative project that um i, I really appreciate you recommending that to me because i don't know that i would have read it otherwise so but that was a a really really good book yeah i feel the same way i feel like it's one of the most awful book covers i've ever seen but oh, i can't terrible. believe how good the book is like, terrible like pleather burgundy pleather um, flea acid for the children, which you recommended to me and I listened to as an audio book. And I think it's one of my favorite audio books of all time. So good. What's your take on that? I think I'm not a big fan of the red hot chili peppers. I mean, I like them, you know, but I, it's not I. like I'm, yeah. a, I'm not a super fan. And I heard that guy flea being interviewed by Malcolm Gladwell on a podcast mm-hmm. and it was so interesting. And flea, I just assumed he was just a, a maniac. And I think he is in a lot of ways, but he's got this soft, kind, gentle side to his personality that was completely unexpected. And uh, he talked about his childhood and growing up. And I just, he just seemed like such an interesting person. And I'm, I'm always looking to learn from interesting people. And so I read it and it's written in a way that I've never, I've never seen a memoir or biography written in the the manner that that one is written in. And um I was really just drawn. It was one of my favorite books of the year, hands down. And and that's coming from somebody who, you know, no connection to the Red Hot Chili Peppers or Flea and no real knowledge of them before I started reading it. Roadhouse is one of the, is in this stack of books. <laughs> that's not an actual book. That's a DVD, right? It should be a book. And it, <laughs> okay. It, it is qualified. If you notice, I, I, I'm, I'm giving away a funny little joke. Well, I think it's hilarious. Most people probably don't get it. But no matter what stack of books I put up, I put ro- the Roadhouse DVD in, in there. <laughs> That's awesome. It's the greatest story ever told, and it's better than a book or a film. It's just everybody needs to – whatever I'm promoting, Roadhouse is, is in there no matter what. The greatest story ever told. That's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, so as somebody who is like inspired by slash jealous of slash made ashamed by – hearing you talk about all this reading, I want to hear a little bit about like the logistics, like how much time a day are you reading? When are you reading? Do you do some of this reading via audiobooks? Like, does that count or does that not count in your world? Talk to me a little bit about this. I wish I could do audiobooks because if I could, it would I'd be able to get a lot more done because I listen to so many podcasts when I'm running. Um, I, I get really bored with audiobooks, so I, I read them and I, I want to read them in paper. I don't want I can't do Kindle, and um, so I try to read a, at least a little bit every night, and then um, on the weekends I really focus in and 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 really crank through. And I used to say I was not a fast reader, but I think over time I, I think I am a fast reader, or I've gotten to be fast. I'll, my, I, I've had to start wearing reading glasses, which is actually really awesome makes the words so big, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but it, I, um, yeah, I, I, I approach it in a similar way to how I approach running or whatever. It's just like, all right, this thing, it has to get done. And sometimes I don't want to read, but I force myself to do it. And I really, I've gained so much from reading and from the perspective shifts that it is, it has brought to me that have made me just a, a better person, I think. And so it's almost like running in that I, I don't want to do it all the time. Like, I don't want to go run three miles after we finish talking tonight, Or, but I know it's good for me and I want to do it and I have to force myself. And and really having that list is a great motivation because, you know, that sometimes I'll come be three months, three weeks out from having to write that thing. And I'm like, oh, man, 
I got to read some books here. And so I'll just start cranking on them. But I wrote a blog post a long time back about how I, you know, why I, or how I managed to read so much. And I just have books everywhere. Like I have them in my car. I have them in my work bag. I have them, you know, where I can pick them up. Yeah, you know, I don't drink, which I think is a huge part of that. Not, you know, every night when I go to bed, I'm awake and I can focus. And I think that, I think I'm not saying everybody needs to <laughs> quit drinking, but for me, I really do think that that was a big part of um, ramping up my ability to focus more, you know, fully from when I wake up until when I go to bed. So it's, I look at it like exercise um, and it's very important to me. And I'm glad, I'm just glad it resonates with other people. So you need yeah. to quit drinking and you need to... <laughs> <laughs> be like, uh, you need to be gritting your teeth when you read books. I'm gonna get the shit done. <laughs> You're like, man, Sounds I could fun, re- huh? I could really use a drink right now, huh? Guess I'll pick <laughs> up this copy of Lee Iacocca's biography. <laughs> get to work. <laughs> well, hey, Ed, we want to let you get going. Really fun to talk. And one, I am ashamed yet again that I have been benefiting from and enjoying your book recommendations for several years now and never wrote a single damn note being like, hey, thanks, man, for the free, lovely book recommendations. So just reiterating yet again why I'm a terrible person. Um <laughs> In case people weren't clear on that yet, but really, this is a fun chance for me. You know, we kind of started by talking about your podcast and then we moved into like all this weird and interesting running stuff you're doing. But just as a opportunity for me to get to say thanks for putting out that list of book recommendations and we'll definitely include a link for people um, so they too could start to benefit from this if they aren't already doing so. Real pleasure to talk with you and to connect. Yeah, thank you all very much for having me on. I, again, I don't. I think people are going to be very confused. Like, who is this guy again? But, but I, um, I, I really enjoyed it, and I've I've gotten a lot out of the podcast. Obviously, uh, 150 days of running now, and then Brendan, mm-hmm. you know, as as I've told you a million times, you've been so generous uh, sharing your wisdom in the creative space. So, I appreciate everything y'all are doing. Mm. Thank you, Ed. Yeah, thanks, Ed and Brendan. We'll talk to you both real soon. Well, that's it for this edition of Off the Couch. Thanks to Ed and Brendan for the conversation. Thanks to the strikingly handsome Justin Bob for producing this episode. And from all of us here in Gunnison and Crested Butte, please be safe. Please take good care of yourself and everybody else. Please keep moving forward. And we will talk to you again next week.